I have a message for you today titled, Be Careful What You Follow. We're in our study through the New Testament uh, in Matthew chapter 7. Um, Abel did a great job at the beginning of that last week, and I'm going to kind of finish up this chapter, uh, this part of the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, it's interesting how much um, we want to be independent, we want to be driven, we want to be, uh, you know, our own people, you know, we want to we stand on our own two feet, but it's interesting how easy it is for us to move in a direction or be led in a direction or be to deceived to move in a direction, um, sometimes easy to the point of being disturbing, how simple it can kind of be. Um, and I built this message kind of around the idea of don't judge a book by its cover, but probably not the meaning that you're thinking of. And as cliche as that statement really is, <clears throat> it also holds a very simple and very powerful truth. Now, like a lot of the teachings that we've been looking at over the last few weeks, Jesus is talking about a topic and then giving us examples on how to apply that topic or more or less how it should not be applied. And this particular one, when you start thinking about don't judge a book by its cover, it speaks to our natural desire as humans to follow things we find appealing, that we find pleasing. Now, that could be visually appealing. That could be emotionally appealing. It could be simply something that aligns with our personal set of values, whether they're publicly known or not. Because it aligns with us, it makes us feel good. It makes us feel like we've been accepted, like something, something finally gets us. And then so we apply ourselves to that. We follow that, whether it's good or whether it's not. Now, the fact that something is appealing doesn't necessarily make it good or bad. And the fact that we may follow it or may be attracted to it doesn't make us good or bad. The question is, are we paying attention to what we're being led towards? Are we, being, are we paying attention to what we're following? We may be drawn to something for emotional reasons and end up being led toward godliness. Something may touch us emotionally and it may lead us to a closer relationship with God. And something may touch us emotionally and it may lead us away from God. The question is, are we paying attention to the journey? And a good example, a good modern example is, how is it that so much of the American church has just walked away from the godliness in areas of biblical morality, sanctity of marriage, and the holiness of the church? Huge portions of what we would call modern-day Christianity just, just walked away from it. Like, it's just, just no big deal. It did not happen overnight, and it didn't happen because they're just inherently evil people. These are people who came to Christ for salvation. They didn't come to Christ to be saved so they could just turn their backs on him later. It started with small pulls on the heartstrings. A plea to kindness and acceptance and secularized views of love. On the surface, things like this sound so good until you consider what you have to get rid of to make them happen. In order to make things like this happen, you have to get rid of God's word and God's standards when it comes to things like biblical morality, the sanctity of marriage, the holiness of the church. You take away what God, how God defines those things and we put forward what man how man defines those things. And because it appeals to our sense of individual morality, our individual likes and dislikes, we accept it because 
now God finally understands me, or I've finally been able to make God in my own image. Now, in this particular section of Scripture, Jesus is dealing with this very thing. Be careful what we're drawn to. Just because it's a pretty light doesn't mean it's not a bug light. Right? One of my favorite lines from Bug Life, Bugs Life is in the, the guy's like, no, Dad, no, don't look at the light. I can't help it. It's so beautiful. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, I have to go home and watch that movie. That was good. Heimlich was a funny character. You know, I'm just saying. <laughs> just because it appeals to you does not mean it's something that should be followed. And just because it feels loving doesn't mean it's godly. It, it's important. And just because it makes us feel like we're doing something for God doesn't mean we're actually doing something for God. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, open up to verse 13. Let's ask God to bless the word with us this morning. Heavenly Father, we ask for your presence to be here this morning as we look into your word. Father, open this, reveal this to our, our hearts and our minds. Open our eyes to the truth. Amen. So starting in verse 13, it reads like this. It says, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because, the, uh, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. So that's how Jesus, this is the truth, the single truth that Jesus is trying to get us to understand. And the rest of what we're going to talk, to, uh, talk about today is about this particular thing. There is one way into heaven and that way is very narrow. It is not wide. Jesus is very accepting but when he accepts us, we conform to him. It's not the other way around. So there are two gates. The wide gate is the one that requires nothing of you. Boy, we love this gate. We love this gate. This is a religious all-you-can-eat buffet. It, makes, it just makes me feel so good. The wedding supper of the lamb looks like the best Ponderosa spread you've ever seen in your life. Just so you understand, there's no good Ponderosa spread. It's just, it's just like Pondagrosa. I mean, it really, it's, it really all depends on kind of how you look at it. But the wide gate is the one that requires nothing of you. You can be whatever you want to be because there are no rules. There's no standards. There's no right and wrong. There's no truth but your truth. Boy, is that not a modern thing or today or what? There's no truth. There's only your truth. Really? Really? What about God's word? Well, it's how you choose to interpret God's word. Really? That's awesome. That's so awesome. I can't wait for the windows of heaven to rain down blessings on me. I just hope it's not heavy. I squish easy. No. This is the gate that leads to destruction. It leads to judgment. In simple terms, the gate that requires nothing of you is the gate to what Scripture refers to as hell, which is, simply means be, to be apart from God for eternity, eternally separated from God. Now, the basic idea is this. If you decide to live your life, your everyday life, apart from God, you choose to be apart from God in your day-to-day -day life. When you die, God will honor that request. 
That's sobering, isn't it? You tell God you don't want anything to do with him, when you die, he will honor that request. He will make sure he has nothing to do with you. The second gate, the narrow gate, only requires one thing that you believe. <laughs> it sounds so simple. All I got to do is believe. Yes. Wait, like believe, believe, or just like say I believe? Because if all I got to do is say I believe, that's easy. I just say I believe, and then I just turn around and do whatever the heck I want. Nope, you have to believe. And believe me, it is the most difficult thing you will ever connect yourself with. Faith in Christ is not an easy thing. It's open to everyone, but it is the hardest decision you'll ever make because every single day you've decided that you believe in Christ, you're going to be confronted with something that is going to want to make you deny that belief. Jesus talks to his disciples about this in in, uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 46. It says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? I'll explain why he says that twice in a second. And not do the things that I say. Now, Lord, Lord, or amen, amen, or holy, holy, that's additional emphasis. Why do you call me Lord and Lord of your life? And then turn around, you ignore everything that I tell you. Essentially, what he's saying is, why are you lying? You want everything I offer that's good, but you don't want to do anything for it. Want all the benefit of heaven without having to risk being called a good and faithful servant. Can I say that again? We want all the benefit of heaven without risking being called a good and faithful servant. Because the servant part has to happen in this life. And showing up to church on Sunday, even early, does not make you a good and faithful servant. Just makes you punctual. That's it. You can be to work on time, still hate it. Good and faithful servant means it's a life that is dedicated to the purposes of God. Now, in light of this understanding, Jesus gives us some examples of what he means. So we move on to uh, verse 15. Jesus says this. The first thing he starts off with, remember, It's the narrow gate you're looking for. Be wary of the wide gate. It's the narrow gate. Follow the narrow path. And then he starts raining on this. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. First things first, false prophet. This term can also mean false teacher. The basic idea is beware of anybody, and I mean anybody, who says they come in the name of the Lord. Any message you hear, any book you read, any sermon you listen to, including this one, doesn't matter if it's coming from me, doesn't matter if it's coming from Abel, doesn't matter from anyone who is standing in this pulpit or any pulpit that exists, you put that word to the test. You don't follow blindly anyone who says they're coming in the name of the Lord. They're doing the will of the Lord. You do what Paul said is the honorable things and you approach them like the Bereans. You put what they say to test and they tested Paul's word against the word of God. Basically what Jesus is saying is it doesn't matter what the credentials are of the person. Your faith is your own. Your judgment is your own. So own it. Take responsibility for your faith. Don't just listen blindly. 
examine what you hear. Now, secondly, what does Jesus mean by good fruit? Is it as simple as good works? Is good fruit just good works, just doing good things? They've got to be godly. Look at all the people they feed. Hitler fed the hungry, just saying. Let's ask the question, what is a good work in relationship to what Jesus is saying? Is it helping little old ladies across the street? Is it making a meal for someone and bringing it to them if they're sick? Is it picking the rubbish up on the roadside? We just did that a couple weeks ago. How about this one? Is it healing, prophecy, miracles, signs and wonders? Are those good works? When you see miracles and healing, you see someone pray and lay their hands on someone and all of a sudden, you know, they they get up out of the wheelchair. Is that a good work? Is that a sign of God's presence? Most people would say yes. We're going to hear something from Jesus. It's a little bit, a little difficult to swallow sometimes. See, all these things can be good works, but they are not the good fruit that Jesus is talking about. The fruit that Jesus is talking about is leading people to the redemption of the soul through repentance and the forgiveness of sin. That's the good work that Jesus is talking about. Without that, nothing you do makes any difference. And I mean nothing. You can prophesy someone, and that's great. You can, you can lay hands on someone, and they be healed, and that's great. You do that without redemption makes absolutely no difference. Absolutely no difference. You think about this. A false prophet or a false teacher will fill your head with spiritualism, pursuit of spiritual power, and drive you to, try to drive you to accomplish great things in the name of the Lord, which sounds great. But here's the thing about a false teacher. They'll never teach you humility. They will never teach you sacrifice. They will never teach you grace or forgiveness or the need to repent. They will teach you how great you can be, how awesome you can be. They'll even talk to you about how great you can be in service of a great God. Can you hear the deception in that? You can be great in the name of God. But listen to what Jesus says about this pursuit in verse 18. He says, a good tree cannot bear good fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. I think I said that backwards, but you understand what I'm saying. Read it on the screen for yourself. I'm just going to sit here for a second and be quiet. Read it for yourself. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Listen to this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Pay attention to this line. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What would you say is the most important verse in this section? I'll give you a hint. It's on the top. Verse 21, the second part of verse 21. There will be those who say to me, Lord, but they will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Those who will enter the kingdom of heaven are those who will do the will of my Father. And then he goes on to talk about what is not necessarily the will of the Father. And he says prophecy, miracles, signs, and wonders. 
People, <laughs> I get argued with all the time. It's fine. It's, it's good. People gravitate towards things, these things. Why? Because they're visually appealing. They're emotionally appealing. They're spiritually appealing. These people have got to be sent by God. Look at the things that they do. I mean, that, that Betty Hinn guy, he's got to be amazing. He just waves his hand and the whole, whole stadium falls down. What a powerful being he is. One of the funniest things I've ever seen is someone took a Benny Hinn revival, series of them, and whenever he's waving his hand, they put a lightsaber in his hand. In the videos, he was like, it was, it, you couldn't help but laugh. And by the way, I'm not a Benny Hinn fan. Okay, just, just saying. I've been to one of his events, and I've experienced it myself. Okay? We get drawn to this stuff because it's, it's like we're pre-programmed to think that this is godliness. But Jesus is saying that this is not how you judge the fruit of someone's ministry. Can I say that again? This is not how you judge the fruit of someone's ministry. I was listening to a guy online saying, and this was something that was happening local, come on down and catch the Holy Spirit. When you come to these meetings, I will guarantee prophecy. I will guarantee healing. I will guarantee moves of the Holy Spirit. Want to guess where that person came from? Came out of Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry because that's what they're taught. You're, you're going to guarantee healings and prophecy? Oh, that's awesome. I'm so glad God bends his will to you. Because when I read my Bible, it says that God decides when those things happen. But you see, we chase these things because they sound so good. They look so good. They make us feel like we're part of something special. If I endear myself to this, then I am now part of the elite group not one of those boring church services that just worship God and pray and fellowship and all that stuff. How boring is that? I want the miracles. I want gold dust coming out of my mouth. I want gold coming out of the air conditioning system. This is, this is what I'm looking for. And Jesus says, you can have all that you want, but when you're chasing that, you're not chasing me. And if you don't want me, when you stand in front of me in judgment, I will honor that request. And you don't have to have anything to do with me. You can chase all the power you want. Now, most of, most of you know this. I came from a witchcraft background. That's, that's the spiritual journey that I was on before I became a Christian. So I am, when I see this stuff, I am hypersensitive to this type of stuff. Because I know for a fact that the Holy Spirit is not the only spirit that brings power to this world. The Holy Spirit is not the only spirit that heals. The Holy Spirit is not the only spirit who does miracles. The Holy Spirit is not the only spirit that brings prophecy. If all the devil has to do is make you feel good about the power you have to keep you from actually knowing Christ, he'll do it. I was reading an article, someone saying, you know, I was about to abandon my faith and become a Christian, but I prayed and I said, God, if, if this particular uh, uh, view is right and it was nothing close to repentance and forgiveness of sin, it was just religion. If this is right, have someone bring me a rose. Someone brought me a rose, and now I know I didn't have to accept Christ as my personal Savior. This was their testimony. I'm thinking, are you that dense? All the devil's got to do is bring you a flower? Like, that's the, that's the big convincing thing? He'll do it. When people tell you that you should listen because they walk in the power of God, 
first question that you should ask is, do you teach repentance and the forgiveness of sin and the redemption of the soul? Do you do that? Well, if the Holy Spirit's here, and these are, these are responses I've actually had. If the Holy Spirit's here, obviously people are getting saved. Well, no. You see, I, see, the words of Jesus say that that doesn't mean that you're going to heaven. Are they preaching a gospel of salvation or are they just demonstrating their own power? Because according to Jesus, spiritual power without the gospel of repentance is known as deception, deception, lawlessness, iniquity. That's what power without repentance is. That's what a demonstration of the spirit without repentance is. It's lawlessness. It's deception. But you see, that's the wide road. Power without discipline. Demonstration of the Holy Spirit without Connection or commitment or conviction. I've been in churches, people are just like, I'm so glad you didn't, you know, I'd be teaching on something or creation. I'm so glad we didn't end this with an altar call or something. I hate those convicting messages. Like, well, now I want to get back up there and make everybody cry. Today's message will end with weeping and gnashing of teeth. I've heard churches, even churches locally, bragging online that they're going to teach the young people in their church to activate and access the power of God in their lives. Huh? Activate and access the power of God? In their, what is there, like a switch on a child somewhere? They don't know it, but if you switch this thing back there, all of a sudden they're very powerful. Are these kids and even the adults involved with it being taught the scriptures? Or are they being taught to pursue power? See, as people, we're drawn to power. We're drawn to what we believe is authority. We attach ourselves to someone that we think has authority. We attach ourselves to a process that we think has power, influence, resources. I can prove to you this. When a church starts to shrink and they start to get really, really small. It's extremely hard for the church to get big again because the people on the outside view the church that used to be big that is now small as a church that has lost power and lost authority. And they gravitate themselves to the church that's got the numbers, that's got the lights, it's got the sound system. Ooh. I had a guy in here at one point in time who I know will not be watching this at any point in time. Right, Jesus? <laughs> Help me who saw the technology that we have. They're like, oh, this had to bring in some people. Actually, no, the people were here first. <laughs> no, see, the computers actually usually scare people away. I'd love to help with your technology. Oh, no, 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 no. There are people that will look at our soundboard and go, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. What do you mean it's got 16 different mixers in it? It's only got one. You know how long it took me to, to, to drag Scott into there? I had to make up a story. I'm not even sure what kind of lie I told him to get him in there. <laughs> Actually, at one point, Scott just said, I am going to be smarter than this thing. I will win. And now he does a great job. Here's one thing I've learned over the last 30 years. 
I have only one power. As a Christian, I have only one power, and that is power to believe. That's it. I, have, I, I can believe the Word of God. Let me help you understand what I mean when I say that. When the Word of God says that I'm a sinner, I have the power to believe it. When the Word of God says that Christ died for my sins, I have the power to believe it. When the Word of God says that the Holy Spirit will guide me and empower me in the ministry that I'm involved with, I have the power to believe that. When the Word of God says that spiritual gifts are given by the Spirit according to the will of the Spirit and for the purposes and glory of God alone, I have the power to believe it and I have the power to be used in it. Some people say, you need to pursue being a healer. No, I need to pursue the healer. He's the healer. If I put my hands on someone and they, and they, get, they get healed, I did not heal them. He healed them. And I need to get out of the way and allow the glory to be given to God. If I bring a message, you say, wow, it's, yeah, good, good preach. Good preaching there, pastor. Amen. Woo, yeah. That had nothing to do with me. I, gotta, I bring the message, I get out of the way and let the glory be to God. Lord, please make sure none of this comes back to me. I don't want responsibility for this. I want to be able to say, God made me do it. Okay, that doesn't work all the time, but you get it. When you're in the service of God, if, the, if there is a goal in that service to God, if there is a goal in your ministry, if there is a goal in your Bible study, if there's a goal in your missions trip, if there's a goal in anything you do for God that does not involve the salvation of the soul through repentance and the forgiveness of sin, you are in error. You are in error. I'm going to go to Africa and build orphanages. That's great. But those orphanages have better be a vehicle for the gospel of salvation. I want to go to foreign countries. I want to feed the, I want to feed the, the, the hungry. That's great. But that feeding the hungry better be a vehicle for the gospel of salvation. Feeding someone today so they end up in hell tomorrow is not very useful. Praying for someone to be healed and they get healed and their healed body follows them into hell is not very useful. Putting your hands on someone and giving them a word, giving them some sort of prophecy and filling them with hope and making them feel good about themselves, thinking they have direction in their life and they never actually get saved and they still end up in hell is not very useful. This is why Jesus says, there will be people who come to me, they think that this is what, they think this is what I want them to do. They have it all wrong. I will not see them in heaven because they completely missed the boat. Only those who do the will of my Father get in heaven. So we have to ask the question, what is the will of the Father? The will of the Father is the salvation of the soul, is the forgiveness of sin. It's the reason Jesus came. It is the work of the cross of, of Calvary for my repentance, for, to pay the cost of my sin, your sin, your neighbor's sin, your little kid's sin. And I've talked to some of your parents. I know, your little kid's they're sinners. I've been back there after Sunday. Trust me. They're sinners. Some of them are destructive sinners. So you guys are all laughing because you know. And some of you are laughing because you know that somebody else's kids are like that. They're laughing because your kids are like that. 
<coughs> now, this does not mean that praying for things like miracles and healings and, and signs and wonders and prophecy is wrong. These things are all good and they're valid today. But they are not the main goal of what we do as believers. They should be the result of a life committed to Christ, not in place of a life committed to Christ. A significant cause for men and women to find them on the wrong side of to find themselves on the wrong side of judgment is because they're just just chasing a display of power for their own pride. While the gospel gets put in a box and on a shelf because it's offensive. We'd bring the gospel. I trust that God will touch their hearts, but I'm going to bring this. It's not what Jesus asked asked us to do. Jesus asked us to put the gospel front and forward. The rest of it can just be dealt with another way. There's a big difference between the narrow road and the wide road. And I think the reason why the wide road is so easy to find goes back to what I said before. It requires nothing of me. I don't even have to search for it. It's so wide, I can walk into it by accident. Where the narrow road, we get this idea that the narrow road is somehow hid. Like God has put it away. Only a few special people get there. Some people say, oh, it's the elect that find that path. No. The narrow road is actually very easy to find, but most of us miss it because we're too proud to turn. See, the, the, the term repentance means to change your mind. Means to, you go back to Romans 12, it's almost the same thing, to change the way you think about something. But it's not just simply changing the way you think about something. If you actually believe, you know, every, every, every husband who's ever driven on a, on a trip with a family in the car understands this. When you're driving down the road and all of a sudden you're going the wrong way and you're continually reminded that your wife was right, that you missed the exit, that the end on the compass does mean north, no matter what the car says. You have a choice. You can, in your pride, continue on the right way, hoping you work it out along the way. Or you can change the way you think. And if you truly believed you were going the wrong way and that the right way was something else, you would change the way you think, you would agree you had it wrong, and you would turn and go the right way. The correct direction. Knowing that that's the way you should have been going the entire time. Check this out. We'll end with verse uh, 24. It says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain descends, the floods come, the winds blow and beat, beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain descends, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had handed the, uh, ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not like the scribes. 
So this is the end of that conversation through the entire Sermon on the Mount when Jesus is saying, you all have it wrong. You're focusing on a behavior and you should be focusing on the heart. And if you focus on the heart, it's the narrow road. It starts with making sure you understand what you're following. And today in the world that we live in, in the way that the uh, uh, the way that the schools are going, the way that the government is going, the way that even sometimes our communities and churches are going, we've got to be really, really careful and very, very cautious of what we hook our wagon to. Because we may hook our wagon to something that is very emotionally appealing. We may hook our wagon to something that is very spiritually appealing. We may hook our wagon to something that we think is very societally or governmentally appealing. And we may be being led away from the standards of God. Because we're not paying attention to where we're being led. It's very difficult to do this because it means we've got to go right back to the beginning and we need to test the fruit of the people we are listening to, whether they are in the church or in government or in business or family or friends. You look at the fruit of their life. How many of you would take financial advice from someone? who lives in a tent, has had their car repossessed, has a negative credit number. Oh, I can tell you how to make a million dollars. It's easy. Then why haven't you done it? See, the fruit's not there. I mean, there might be a fruit, but it's slightly different. You look at what that person's life has done. where God has brought them, what God has brought them through. There's a lot of people sitting in here right now who you don't think you have anything worth sharing to the world around you. You don't see the fruit in your own life. And what you don't realize is that there are powerful truths in your life and there is powerful fruit in your life. You just haven't shared it with enough people enough to see how many people, how it will be valued in the lives of those around you. The fruit of your life is good. Don't let it rot on the vine. Share it so that people can see the fruit of your life. They can see what God has done in your life. Not just in demonstration of power, but in the process and the, and the journey to repentance, the forgiveness of sin, the reconstruction of our life. You scared me for a quick second. I told you, no, no giving birth on Mother's Day. Like you looked over and were like, I'm like, no, 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 not right now. <laughs> that would be hilarious. <laughs> anyway, moving right along. We are all building a life, we are all on this journey. And we are all walking out our faith. No matter how successful you have been or have not been in that pursuit, there is one thing that you should all remember. If your life is not in line with the teachings of Christ, you are building your life on the sand. You're following the wide road. You're not doing what Jesus has asked you to do. If you're just coasting along, be careful. You may, get, you may get before God and say, God, my life was amazing. Look at all the great things. Look at the greatness I have achieved for you. You're proud of me, aren't you? And then Jesus says, 
I'm sorry, what was your name again? You're not on the list. What do you mean I'm not on the list? I was amazing. Yeah, yeah, you're not on the list. And then some guy that you knew, that you looked down on, walks by you. And Jesus says, Tom, good to see you. Come on in. Castle's ready. You're going to love it. He's on the list? Oh, yeah, I've known him for years. Take the narrow road. Take the difficult path. Focus on the right things. Relationship over demonstrations of our perceived idea of power. Be careful what you follow. Be careful what you hit your wagon to. Pay attention. Own your faith. And look for the fruit. Amen. Father, we ask you to bless this day, bless this time. Bless everybody as they they spend the day thanking their moms. Father, let it be godly in all of its expressions. We ask you to bless the rest of this service, our time, the ice cream Sundays back there, and our fellowship. We thank you in this. Uh, we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. We'll see you next week.